Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 175. Today on the podcast, we are going to be looking at a number of different passages from 2 Chronicles, 2 Kings, Psalm 66, and 1 Corinthians. And We're leaving Isaiah for a few episodes here to actually give you some historical context again back that would have been contemporary to the time Isaiah was prophesying. And so we're going to hear about some kings um, over the next number of episodes that would have been living and have reigning in Israel and in Judah and the northern and the southern kingdoms uh, during the time when Isaiah was a prophet. And so we're going to read this context, and in doing so, Uh, We'll read about the exile of the northern tribes of Israel, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. We'll read about how idol worship is the reason for that exile, and how worship is what drives the people back to God, and then how faithfulness is actually an outflow of a heart that worships God. So as we work through, we'll see exile, idols, worship, and faithfulness. We begin today in 2 Chronicles 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what pleased the Lord, in contrast to his ancestor David. He followed in the footsteps of the kings of Israel. He also made images of Baals. He offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and passed his sons through fire, a horrible sin practiced by the nations whom the Lord drove out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. The Lord his God handed him over to the king of Syria. The Syrians defeated him and deported many captives to Damascus. He also handed over to the king of Israel, uh, the king of Israel, who thoroughly defeated him. And one day Pekah son of Remaliah killed 120,000 warriors in Judah because they had abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors. Zikri, an Ephraimite warrior, killed the king's son, Messiah, Azariakim, the supervisor of the palace, and Elkanah, the king's second-in-command. The Israelites seized from their brothers 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also carried off huge amount of plunder and took it back to Samaria. Oded, a prophet of the Lord, was there. He went to meet the army as they arrived in Samaria and said to them, Look, Because the Lord God of your ancestors was angry with Judah, he handed them over to you. You have killed them so mercilessly that God has taken notice. And now you are planning to enslave the people of Judah and Jerusalem? Yet you are not also guilty before the Lord. Are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back those you have seized from your brothers, for the Lord is very angry at you. So some of the Ephraimite leaders Family leaders such as Azariah, son of Jeconanan, Berechiah, son of Mashilimoth, Jechazakiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Haldai, confronted those returning from the battle. They said to them, Don't bring those captives here. Are you planning on making us even more sinful and guilty before the Lord? Our guilt is already great, and the Lord is very angry at Israel. So the soldiers released the captives and the plunder before the officials and the entire assembly. 
Men were assigned to take the prisoners and find clothes among the, uh, the plunder for those who were naked. So they clothed them, supplied them with sandals, gave them food and drink, and provided them with oil to rub on their skin. They put the ones who couldn't walk on donkeys, they brought them back to their brothers at Jericho, the city of date palm trees, and then returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz asked the king of Assyria for help. The Edomites had again invaded and defeated Judah and carried off captives. The Philistines had raided the cities of Judah in the foothills in the Negev. They captured and settled in Beth Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedaroth, Zoko, and its surrounding villages. Timnah and its surrounding villages, and Gimzo and its surrounding villages. The Lord humiliated Judah because of King Ahaz of Israel, for he encouraged Judah to sin and was very unfaithful to the Lord. King Tiglath-Pilazir of Assyria came, but he gave him more trouble than support. Ahaz gathered riches from the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and the officials and gave them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help. During his time of trouble, King Ahaz was even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus, whom he thought had defeated him. He reasoned, since the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them so they will help me. But they caused him and all Israel to stumble. Ahaz gathered the items in God's temple and removed them. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and erected altars on every street corner in Jerusalem. In every city throughout Judah, he set up high places to offer sacrifices to other gods. He angered the Lord God of his ancestors. The rest of the events of Ahaz's reign, including his accomplishments from start to finish, are recorded in the scroll of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz passed away and was buried in the city of Jerusalem. They did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. His son, Hezekiah, replaced him as king. So there we have quite the report from the, the really sad situation going on in the southern tribe of Judah with King Ahaz, who was a total disaster, including even sacrificing, burning alive some of his own children in, in a terrible practice and worshiping other gods and other idols rather than the true God. And now we move to 2 Kings 17, which is a story of the final days of the northern kingdom and their exile because of their also worshiping of other gods. 2 Kings 17. In the twelfth year of King Ahaz's reign over Judah, Hosea, son of Elah, Elah, became king over Israel. He reigned in Samaria for nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not to the same degree as the Israelite kings who preceded him. King Shalmaneser of Assyria marched up to attack him, so Hosea became his subject and paid him tribute. The king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was planning a revolt Hosea had sent messengers to King So of Egypt and had not sent his annual tribute to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria arrested him and imprisoned him. The king of Assyria marched through the whole land. He attacked Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea's reign, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the people of Israel to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, along the Habar, the river Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. This happened because the Israelites sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt and freed them from the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods, they observed the practices of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before them, and followed the example of the kings of Israel. The Israelites said things about their Lord their God that were not right. 
They built high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every green tree. They burned incense on all the high places, just like the nations whom the Lord had driven out away before them did. Their evil practices made the Lord angry. They worshipped the disgusting idols in blatant disregard of the Lord's command. The Lord solemnly warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and all the seers, saying, Turn back from your evil ways. Obey my commandments and rules that are recorded in the law. I ordered your ancestors to keep this law and sent my servants, the prophets, to remind you of its demands. But they did not pay attention and were as stubborn as their ancestors who had not trusted in the Lord their God. They rejected his rules, the covenant he had made with their ancestors, and the laws he had commanded them to obey. They paid allegiance to worthless idols and so became worthless to the Lord. They copied the practices of the surrounding nations in blatant disregard of the Lord's commands. They abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made two metal calves and an Asherah pole, bowed down to all the stars in the sky, and worshipped Baal. They passed their sons and daughters through the fire and practiced divination and omen reading. They committed themselves to doing evil in the sight of the Lord and made him angry. So the Lord was furious with Israel and rejected them. Only the tribe of Judah was left. Judah also failed to keep the commandments of the Lord their God. They followed Israel's example. So the Lord rejected all of Israel's descendants. He humiliated and handed them over to robbers until he had thrown them from his presence. He tore Israel away from David's dynasty and Jeroboam son of Nebat became their king. Jeroboam drove Israel away from the Lord and encouraged them to commit a serious sin. The Israelites followed in the sinful ways of Jeroboam and did not repudiate them. Finally, the Lord rejected Israel just as he had warned he would do through all his servants, the prophets. Israel was deported from its land to Assyria and remains there to this very day. The king of Assyria brought foreigners from Babylon, Kutha and Ava, Hamath and Zephariah, and settled them in the cities of Samaria in the place of the Israelites. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. When they first moved in, they did not worship the Lord. So the Lord sent lions among them and the lions were killing them. The king of Assyria was told, The nations whom you deported and settled in the cities of Samaria do not know the requirements of the God of the land, so he sent lions among them. They are killing the people because they do not know the requirements of the God of the land. So the king of Assyria ordered, Take back one of the priests whom you have deported from there. He must settle there and teach them the requirements of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had deported from Samaria went back and settled in Bethel. He taught them how to worship the Lord. But, Each of these nations made its own gods and put them in the shrines on the high places that the people of Samaria had made. Each nation did did this in the cities where they lived. The people from Babylon made Succoth, Banoth. The people from Kuth made Nergal. The people from Hamath made Ashima. The Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sephirites burned their sons in the fire as an offering to Adjelamelech and Anamelech the gods of Sepharavim. At the same time, they worshipped the Lord. They appointed some of the town people to serve as priests in the shrines on the high places. They were worshipping the Lord and at the same time serving their own gods in accordance with the practices of the nations from whom they had been deported. To this very day, they observe their earlier practices. They do not worship the Lord. They do not obey the rules, regulations, law, and commandments that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he renamed whom he renamed Israel. 
The Lord made a covenant with them and instructed them, you must not worship other gods. Do not bow down to them, serve them, or offer sacrifices to them. Instead, you must worship the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt by his great power and military ability. Bow down to him and offer sacrifices to him. You must carefully obey at all times the rules, regulations, law, and commandments he wrote down for you. You must not worship other gods. You must never forget the covenant I made with you, and you must not worship other gods. Instead, you must worship the Lord your God. Then he will rescue you from the power of all your enemies. But they paid no attention. Instead, they observed their earlier practices. These nations were worshiping the Lord and at the same time serving their idols. Their sons and grandsons are doing just as their fathers have done to this very day. So we see the the awful conclusion the people of Israel brought into exile and we're told over and over again in that passage that they were brought into exile because they were not serving the true God who gave them life and who gave them all they had, but were serving idols, created things, and even doing despicably horrific things in worshiping these other idols and other gods. And that brings us to actually Psalm 66, which is a description of what it looks like to actually truly worship the true God and to praise him as he deserves. And so we'll read from Psalm 66. For the music director, a song, a psalm. Shout out praise to God, all the earth. Sing praises about the majesty of his reputation. Give him the honor he deserves. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cower in fear before you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and witness God's exploits. His acts on behalf of people are awesome. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Let us rejoice in him there. He rules by his power forever. He watches the nations. Stubborn rebels should not exalt themselves. Praise our God, you nations. Loudly proclaim his praise. He preserves our lives and does not allow our feet to slip. For you, O God, tested us. You purified us like refined silver. You led us into a trap. You caused us to suffer. You allowed men to ride over our heads. We passed through fire and water. But... You brought us out into a wide open place. I will enter your temple with burnt sacrifices. I will fulfill the vows I made to you, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will offer up to you fattened animals as burnt sacrifices, along with the smell of sacrificed ram, sacrificial lambs. I will offer cattle and goats. Come, listen, all you who are loyal to God. I will declare what he has done for me. I cried out to him for help and praised him with all my tongue, with my tongue. If I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God heard. He listened to my prayer. God deserves praise, for he did not reject my prayer or abandon his love for me. What a wonderful celebration of reasons to praise God because he gives life, because he redeems, because he forgives, because he loves. And all those things lead again to the recognition that we ought to be faithful in how we serve and love God in return and how we love and serve other people. And so we turn now to 1 Corinthians 7, where the Apostle Paul takes on the relationship between a husband and wife, as well as between other people within the community. And his big theme here is that because God is faithful, we ought to be faithful to each other, because marriage is a reflection of God's love for his people, and because God has called people to reflect that love and how they're faithful to each other and no one else. In one sense, marriage is pictured as 
being faithful to, to each other as God is faithful to us and we ought to be faithful to him. And so let's read from 1 Corinthians 7 and hear about how Paul is putting forward for them and for us a very countercultural understanding of how much a husband and wife belong to each other and are called to be faithful in that relationship. Now, with regard to the issues you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of immoralities, each man should have relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. It is not the wife who has the rights to her own body, but the husband. In the same way, it is not the husband who has the rights to his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual agreement for a specified time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then resume your relationship, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that everyone was as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one this way, another that. To the unmarried and widows I say that it is best for them to remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, let them get married, for it is better to marry than to burn with sexual desire. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife should not divorce a husband. But if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, If a brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is happy to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is happy to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife because of her husband. Otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever wants a divorce, let it take place. In those circumstances, the brother or sister is not bound. God has called you, in, called you in peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will bring your husband to salvation? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will bring your wife to salvation? Nevertheless, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each person, so must he live. I give this sort of direction in all the churches. Was anyone called after he had been circumcised? He should not try to undo his circumcision. Was anyone called who is uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Instead, keeping God's commandments is what counts. Let each one remain in what situation in life in which he was called. Were you called as a slave? Do not worry about it. But if indeed you are able to be free, make the most of the opportunity. For the one who is called in the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. In the same way, the one who is called as a free person is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. In whatever situation someone was called, brothers and sisters, let him remain in it with God. With regard to the question about people who have never married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. Because of the impending crisis, I think it's best for you to remain as you are. The one bound to a wife should not seek divorce. The one released from a wife should not seek marriage. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face difficult circumstances, and I am trying to spare you such problems. And I say this, brothers and sisters, and I say this, brothers and sisters, the time is short. So then those who have wives should be as those who have none, and those with tears like those not weeping. 
those who rejoice like those not rejoicing, those who buy like those who without possessions, those who use the world as though they were not using it to the full. For the present shape of this world is passing away. And I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of the world, how to please his wife. And he is divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, to be both holy in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that, without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting inappropriately towards his virgin, if she is past the bloom of youth and it seems necessary, he should do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. But the man who is firm in his commitment and is under no necessity but has control over his will and has decided in his own mind to keep his virgin, his own virgin does well. So then, the one who marries his own virgin does well, but the one who does not does better. A wife bound is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry another, anyone she wishes, only someone in the Lord. But in my opinion, she will be happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have a share in the Spirit of God. And you might be a little confused through that chapter. There's a lot of stuff there in 1 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul, in one sense, is basically trying to make the point over and over again that how we live in relationship, whether we're married or single, ultimately has to be governed by a faithfulness to God. So when married, be faithful to your spouse. If you're unmarried, be faithful in your relationships with other people. And in every way, look to God as the ultimate person to have a relationship with, the ultimate person to serve, the ultimate person to love, the ultimate person to worship, the ultimate person in your life, who's most important to you, recognizing that he is the one who loves you more than anybody else, who's more faithful to you than anybody else, and who sends his spirit and changes us to be increasingly the people he wants us to be. And so through all this, we see the exile, the idols, worship and faithfulness, and all these things draw us back again to see just how amazing God truly is. Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, HTTP, netbible.com, copyright 1996-2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music.